This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. You have given new meaning to the word remnant. God bless you. The few, the proud, and the chosen. It's good to see you this morning, and I trust that you have been at least as blessed as I have been from your time at GYC this year. This is actually my first experience at GYC, and I'm so grateful. Um, I have spent years encouraging church members and, and other people to come to GYC, and now I will always be able to speak from experience when I tell folks that this is where they ought to be if they want to be blessed and encouraged and lifted up before God. What do you say? <clears throat> I want to just take a moment to acknowledge uh, the leaders of uh, GYC and thank them for turning on this wonderful event, uh, this venue where God's Spirit can work in such a powerful way. Over the years, the leaders of GYC have done a remarkable job. Of course, we seek to lift up Jesus, but I am giving thanks where I believe thanks is due. And I didn't do this when I had an opportunity earlier, but I wanted to thank uh, Elder John Friedman, the president of the Washington Conference. Um, obviously, the support of the Washington Conference has been important and greatly appreciated. Um, <clears throat> I know not all of you ran this morning. How about that, huh? The 5K this morning. Yeah, don't think the Bradshaws aren't going to be represented. My wife did an awesome job running 5Ks this morning. <laughs> awesome. So proud of her. Excellent. I hope that you are praying for the revolution to continue in God's church around this world. I don't want to be selfish, but I would like you to pray for me. I have uh, six evangelistic meetings coming up over the next year with It Is Written and Escrito Esta, our Spanish language ministry, has at least as many uh, in the United States and other places as well. I would like to take this opportunity to encourage you to participate in Revelation Today taking place in Charlotte, North Carolina in October of this year. It's going to be broadcast and, and webcast and all kinds of cast, and you'll be able to be part of it wherever you are. So perhaps this is something your church wants to participate in, or you want to do at home or in your office, in your place of work, in your dormitory or something. Another opportunity to gather people together around the Bible and encourage them into the Word of God. And I would ask you to be praying for this event and, and, and everything that's taking place in the name of Jesus for the upbuilding of his kingdom and the proclamation of the three angels' messages. Well, let us pray, if you don't mind, and we'll pray expecting God to bless us as we open the Bible today. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. That our old song said, in our hand, no price we bring truly to the cross we cling. Heavenly Father, as this convocation comes to a conclusion, we pray 
that you would unleash the power of your spirit again. I am not going to ask that you be here or that you come into this place as sure as the sun is shining in the sky we know that you are here. We know that. My prayer is that you would allow for us to be here. Take our minds. Take our hearts. Unite our will with your will. Allow our faculties to be absorbed into your purposes. And let these minutes be such as would draw us into your word and into your heart. Bless us now, please, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a cool December day, and the year was 1773. A group of patriots known as the Sons of Liberty boarded three ships in Boston Harbor and went to work unloading 342 crates of their contents. The crates had been delivered by the East India Tea Company and they contained some of India's finest, if you'll allow me to put it that way, tea. This was no small matter. Our children have tea parties today. We think that is cute. The government of Great Britain did not think this was cute. Britain responded decisively. Determined to restore British authority in Massachusetts, Britain passed a series of laws that they believed essentially would reform government, reform government in the colonies. They passed several acts in the British Parliament. Five of them became known as the Intolerable Acts. Four of them really related directly to what was taking place in Massachusetts. The fifth one was the Quebec Act, but the Patriots didn't like that either. The Quebec or the Quebec Act uh, enlarged the province of Quebec and brought it all the way down to the Ohio River. The colonies didn't like that either. But the four acts that really stuck in their craw were these. One was the Boston Port Act. In retaliation against what the Patriots had done, the Boston Harbor was closed until the East India Tea Company had been repaid for the tea that had been lost. The Patriots didn't like that much. The Massachusetts Government Act brought the colony of Massachusetts directly under the control of Great Britain, just like that. And so the colonists and the other colonies started to fear that their autonomy would be taken away, not that you could really call it autonomy. They feared that Britain would act similarly against them. Freedom was disappearing. The Administration of Justice Act meant that royal subjects in, in, in the colonies could, sh should Britain choose, be tried for crimes levied against them in Britain rather than here in the United States or what was not the United States yet. George Washington called this the Murder Act. He said what this will accomplish is the British can do anything at all, harass us any way they like, and they'll get away with it. This is intolerable, he said. The intolerables they were. And the fourth one was the Quartering Act. This was an elaboration upon or an enlargement of an act that was already in existence. 
placing the burden, the rather onerous burden of housing, billeting, uh, caring for British soldiers on the colonies. And the colonies didn't like that. Enough, they said, of taxation without representation. Why should we put up with this? The royals there treating us with scorn, indignity. British Prime Minister Lord North misjudged the sentiment in these colonies. The Americans by now had little regard for any laws that the British passed. Little regard. And they'd already begun organizing for war. It was in 1775 that the shot was fired that has been described since then as the shot heard around the world. And the, the American Revolution developed into the Revolutionary War. A royal decree was issued. It, it, it declared that the the, the colonists were traitors. The colonists said, bring it on, because there's no going back. And on July the 4th, 1776, the United States of America were formed, or was formed. A new nation, new liberties, new opportunities, yea, verily, new responsibilities as well. And all came out of a revolution. A revolution occurs when the parties involved decide that they will no longer tolerate the status quo. There has to be change of a decisive sort. People say we will no longer go along with existing conditions. There has to be a change. People say this is it. We are turning over a no, new leaf and there will be no going back. You can think about some of the world's great revolutionaries. The Founding Fathers, heroes, imperfect, but they stepped forward when the moment came and they acted decisively. And the world has never been the same since. Heroes such as Martin Luther, heroes such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., heroes such as Gandhi. I'm not praising his theology, but you know Gandhi was a revolutionary who brought change and it was needed change. Not all revolutionaries are created equal. Some are remembered as being infamous more than famous. Che Guevara, a revolutionary, died in Bolivia at the hands of the CIA, I believe. Vladimir Lenin, no, not a hero of mine, but a revolutionary. Karl Marx, uh, I don't know, subscribe to his point of view, but a revolutionary nevertheless. Mao Zedong, I don't want a revolution like that taking place on our soil, but nevertheless, Chairman Mao was a revolutionary. People who brought change, people whose actions line up with the dictionary definition of revolution. And if you look in a dictionary, you will discover that a revolution is, listen, listen, because this becomes very important to us on a personal basis. A revolution is, and I read for you, an overthrow or repudiation and the thorough replacement of an established government or political system by the people governed. Think now, friends, because this has direct implications and consequences for you and me. A repudiation of and overthrow of the system governing you. That's a definition of revolution. Another definition is a sudden, complete, or marked change in something. You know where I'm going today. A sudden, 
complete or marked change in something. The first revolutionary we read about in the Bible is a surprising revolutionary. He began as Lucifer, the light bearer. We call him Satan today. The Bible calls him a deceiver, a liar and the father of it. He is the accuser of the brethren, but he was a revolutionary. There in heaven all was perfect and all was love. There was a perfect system. There was a perfect government. But this revolutionary rose up against it. He said, we will not have a government that brings glory to God, but we will have a government instead that brings glory to the creature, not the creator. Lucifer said, and you know it, for it is written in Isaiah 14 and verse 12, I will be like the Most High. I cannot stand the status quo. There must be a change. Change will begin with me, Lucifer, the first recorded revolutionary in the Bible. You could argue with that, and I hope you will, because there is another revolutionary that we will talk about soon. The Bible is a book of revolutions. And as we've seen over these last few days at GYC, the book of Acts is where we find evidence of something truly revolutionary. Now, the first the greatest revolutionary there ever was, was Jesus. And truthfully, you could say that Jesus was the original revolutionary because long ago in the Council of Peace, Jesus said, if somebody falls, if this world goes to hell, I will go. Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He said, in case there's a revolution down there, let me make a decision right here. We will have provided for their salvation. I will get them out of jail free. I'll go if I need to. Jesus stood up and said, here am I, send me. The father said, all right, should that happen, you will go. Jesus came to a world darkened by sin and he offered salvation. He came to a planet mired in tradition and he brought truth. He traveled to a distant spot in the universe where there was failure and he offered victory where there was mediocrity or even worse, Jesus proffered excellence. Instead of wickedness, Jesus came and he held out the hope of righteousness. And for death, Jesus offered life. Jesus was and is a revolutionary. But there's something interesting about that revolution that was conceived in heaven and then really took place here on the earth. Jesus started the revolution by intent in heaven long ago. He brought a massive revolution to a world that was dead in trespasses and sins when he came and he was born as a baby in Bethlehem and then when he ministered and lived and ultimately died on an old rugged cross. But Jesus, when he left this earth and ascended to heaven, left the revolution in the hands of some interesting characters. It was a misfit church. You think you see things in your church that you don't like. We have so many grumblers in the church today. It's true there's plenty to grumble about. You're in the church. There's something right there. But if the grumblers would attempt to be part of the solution rather than just amplify the problem, this would be not a different church, but a different world, ladies and gentlemen. A different world. It 
was a misfit church back then. Just days before Jesus went to heaven, the Bible says his very closest friends, and this is a direct quote, forsook him and fled. Imagine Jesus being dragged off to that kangaroo court and thinking, well, I'm going to be dead soon, and the future of the church rests upon some yellow bellies who in my moment of need forsook me and fled. Would you have taken that risk? No, you would not. Two of Jesus' inner circle were so corrupt that their method of solving interpersonal conflicts was to appeal to deity to send fire from heaven to burn up the people who disagreed with them. Can you imagine that? You got problems with somebody in your dormitory if you're in college. And you go to the dean and say, I think I have a solution. Let's pray that God sends fire down from heaven and burns her up. <laughs> That's what Jesus was dealing with. Judas had a devil. Now, Jesus didn't leave the future of the church with him. But you know that like leaven in dough, Judas's influence leavened the disciples. You understand that? Thomas, doubting Thomas. Philip, weak in faith. The great revolutionary had left the earth and he was passing the torch on to others. What could possibly come of this revolution? Open your Bible with me, please. Sorry to take so long getting there. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we'll pick it up in verse 49. Jesus is about to check out of this earth. And he's dealing with his little group of failures. And he says this to them. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus looked at them and he realized they were failures. They were frail. They had more than foibles. This was a broken bunch. Peter denied him like he did. I mean, Jesus was looking at this group and he said, you're not going to get it done on your own. But it was never God's intention that the church get it done on its own. Jesus had made provision for a group of failures so that they could be raging successes in prosecuting the gospel commission. And he said to them, wait until you be endued with power from on high. And then verse 53 says, they responded positively. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And then Luke writes, amen. And we all ought to say amen to that. Jesus left them behind. And where would you have found them? In the temple. What were they doing? Worshiping, praising, praying. They were waiting. They were pressing close to the heart of God. We know you've got something big. We are here and we are ready. What happened as a result? The book of Acts happened as the result. For some reason, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. It should really be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because when you look at the book of Acts, the disciples did nothing other than 
provide themselves as vessels through which the Holy Spirit could work. God was going to get a work done. The disciples would be tools in the hands of a mighty God. We read about this. Book of Pentecost took place. And when I read about this thing in Acts, in a book called the Acts of the Apostles, the, the, the book, not the Bible book, here's what I discovered. I've cobbled a few points together. Here's what the disciples knew when Pentecost took place. Here's what the disciples knew when they pressed in close to the heart of God. Here's what they knew. They knew that they had a representative in heaven, an advocate at the throne of God. Do you know that today? In solemn awe, they bowed in prayer, repeating the assurance, whatsoever you shall ask of God in, in, in my name, he will give it to you. They believed what God had said. Revolutionary. As the disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. But they were comforted by the thought that they were forgiven. And they determined that so far as possible, they would atone for their unbelief by bravely confessing him before the world. Let me stop there and editorialize just a little bit. Unfortunately, there are some people who struggle with the idea that they are forgiven. Could God really forgive me after what I have done? Does God really have a place for me in his work when you stop and consider how sinful I have been and am? Look where I am now. Could God use somebody like me? I want to tell you something. It's time to take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on a, on a mediator in heaven's sanctuary. When you look at you, the answer will always be defeat. When you look at Jesus, the answer will always be victory. Can God use you? Yes, he can. Sinful you? Yes, he can. Let's not talk anymore about your sinfulness. That's a self problem. We like to define issues with self by saying, well, you know, I really wanted a hamburger, but I, I prayed and I just walked right on by McDonald's and I got victory over self. <laughs> All right, that's, 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 that probably qualifies. But in the big picture, I could care less. There's another victory over self you ought to get, and that's the victory over self-doubt. That's the victory over self-condemnation. That's selfishness, man. That's all it is. That's self-centeredness. Look beyond yourself and look to Jesus in heaven's sanctuary and say, misfit though I might be, broken though I am, failed though I be, my hope is in Christ. My hope is in heaven. I have a mediator at the right hand of God in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus, the Bible tells you in the book of Hebrews, he went to heaven for us. He's for you, not against you. The disciples believed that. They looked at their, 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 their litany of failures and they said, wait, it's not about our fa failures. It's about Jesus and his great victory. What else do we read? The disciples prayed with intense earnestness, with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and in their daily intercourse to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. This is what they prayed for. God, give me words. Putting away all differences, all desire for the supremacy. They came close together in Christian fellowship. Read, you just turn back a few pages. These were the same clowns who were fighting about who would be the greatest. Now that was gone. These days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. It's a wonder that we don't pray and plead for the Holy Spirit to fill us 
every day, every night. Maybe you do, but if you don't, you're missing out on something. This is what the disciples prayed for. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. In obedience to the word of the Savior, the disciples offered their supplications for this gift. Jesus said, pray for the gift, and so they did. And in heaven, I love this, in heaven, Christ added his intercession. Isn't that something? You're on your knees praying, and Jesus is in heaven adding his prayers to yours. You're down here appealing to God to do some great thing, and Jesus is in heaven adding his intercession to your pleadings. Oh, praise the Lord for such a great Savior. He claimed the gift of the Spirit. you got to love this. Jesus claimed the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he might pour it upon his people. Look what was about to take place. Jesus said there's going to be a revolution. He said to the disciples, you are going to lead the way. Yes, you are. But in order for you to be successful revolutionaries, there's something you're going to need. They didn't have to get together and plot and strategize as to where they're going to get weapons. They knew the weapon would come from above. They didn't need to go off to a training camp in the middle of the desert and, and practice guerrilla warfare. They knew that the warfare they were involved in would be carried out under the unction, under the aegis of the great Holy Spirit of Almighty God. They knew that. Jesus pledged to provide the Holy Spirit so that the revolution could go forward like fire through the stubble. The entire book of Acts is the story of how the revolution was pressed forward. Pentecost, Spirit of God was poured out. Peter preached a powerful sermon. The people were pricked in their hearts. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And 3,000 were baptized in a day. In the next chapter, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked them for a gift and they said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, do what tell me now. Rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Peter preached with power. The Spirit convicted hearts. Thousands believed. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The Spirit of God went further. It wasn't just the actions of the apostles, but the Spirit of God went down and dealt with the motives of the apostles. Peter went on a rooftop to pray. You got to be careful if you pray because God will answer your prayer. He might not give you an answer that you like. Peter went up there to pray. And as he was up there on the rooftop, there was a knocking at the gate. Someone had come to call him down there to Cornelius' house. Peter had seen a vision. A great sheet knit, knit together at the four corners, filled up with unclean creatures descending to the earth. God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, uh-uh, I'm not eating that. That's unclean. And God eventually got through to Peter and told him that what he was trying to communicate with him was that now, even though his theology was right, his heart was wrong. Get over there to the Gentiles, man. Don't be a racist. That was the message in Acts chapter 10. Peter, enough of your racism. Peter got the message. He yielded and he went. He said, I, I, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. There was a revolution taking place. In the heart of Peter. Then there was the prophet Agabus. There were Philip's four daughters who prophesied. Philip went out into the wilderness. Why? Because he was led by the Holy Spirit to meet with the Ethiopian. And when he was done, the Spirit of God caught him away. 
took him to another place. This was what happened under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. At Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Aren't you glad for that? Because when they fasted and prayed and, and, and appealed to God, the Holy Spirit spoke up and said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. And the Spirit of God sent them on their way. It says those very words in the Bible. Friend, if there's going to be a revolution, the revolution will take place when we and the Holy Spirit are connected. That's when it will take place. God is eager to empower the revolutionaries. Over there in the Middle East, there are revolutionaries. And there are terrorist states, if I can just call them that, who are eager to supply them with armaments to, to, to provide the power to push the revolution forward. The Spirit of God is eager to provide the power to push the revolution forward. There was little failure in the book of Acts when the apostles, the disciples, attached themselves to the Holy Spirit of God. There was transformation within and without. There was power. I remember when I was a Catholic teenager about... 14 years old, I started to kick around with a, a Baptist youth group. Some kids in my high school, uh, you know, and we'd go down to Westie's house, and they had a great big living room down where the two rivers come together, their old house. And these, these youth group leaders would come, you know, and we'd, I don't know what we would do, I don't remember too well. I remember one thing. They'd, they'd, they'd be singing and someone would pray, and there'd be games and games, there'd be a lot of games. But it's just what it was. But then there was a little stool that was about this high, and it was made out of wood. And if you were unlucky, maybe if you got the question wrong or you came last in the little competition, it was your sentence to go and sit on the stool. It was just an inconspicuous looking wooden stool. That's all it was. But you didn't know when you got there because nobody told you. You found out though. Somewhere over there, there was a switch. And when the youth group leader flipped the switch, suddenly, suddenly you got moving. There was electricity connected to the stool. And when the switch was flipped, you didn't see the electricity, but you sure felt the electricity. And that electricity got out of the seat. Well, it got into the seat, if you know what I mean, and through the individual, and you got moving. You couldn't help but move. You didn't have to do anything but sit there and wait for the power to arrive. And when the power arrived, you could not remain the same. People tried, but it could not be done. Friend, if you would just sit there and allow God to do what God wants to do, you cannot be the same. You might not see it happen, but you will see its effects. You will see its results. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, there will be power, real power. There will be a revolution. When God sends us uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, there is power. When God's revolutionaries simply let the Holy Spirit have their way, that's when there's a powerful revolution. Holy Spirit said to Peter, remember, go to Cornelius' house. What did Peter do? He just went. He didn't have to go. Keep in mind, Peter didn't have to go. Peter could easily have said, uh-uh, not me, you got the wrong guy. Those are Gentiles over there, and I hate them because they're a different race. 
and I've been bred to hate them and taught to hate them and, and that we've used the scriptures to justify hating them. God, I will not go. And if I go, my credibility with the church will be blown. But Peter didn't say that. God said go. And Peter went. Notice this in Acts 16 and verse 6. When they'd gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not allow them. Now, they simply could have said, we have this, 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 this gnawing feeling. We believe God doesn't want us to go, but we're going to go anyway. You know what that's like. Last night, undoubtedly, some of you all heard the call of the wild. It's New Year's Eve. Come on now. Don't tell me you're going to sit around in your little hotel room or go down to some prayer room. Oh no, the flesh began to call. Satan placed an agent somewhere near you perhaps and said, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And you know how it can be when temptation comes. God calls us to yield. These guys were told, don't go there. They didn't go. They could have, but they didn't go. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's where Paul went. You see, Paul might have had his own agenda, but he didn't. He simply made himself available to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. And when he did that, there was no obstruction in the work of God. The work of God went forward with power because the disciples simply said, let's do your thing. Not everybody was called by God and did what God asked. You've heard of Jonah. Jonah went in the opposite direction. You know what Peter did. Oh, I don't know him. No way. Conviction was telling Peter. Peter, confess Jesus. But Peter fought it off. Judas, against the conviction of the Holy Spirit, sold Jesus. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of people who knew better Balaam attempted to prophesy against God's people, call the curse of God down on God's people. Knowing better, donkey had to talk to Balaam to get him straightened out. I hope that you are getting a picture of what fueled the revolution. Not simply the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was the power, really was the fuel, that's true. But the disciples yielding their will to God enabled the revolution to go forward friend when you leave here something's gonna happen you are going to be confronted with a decision is life going to be business as usual or will the Holy Spirit have control of your life God is going to speak to you and call you and you're going to have to be confronted with the decision. And the decision isn't to do, the decision is to yield. Will I let God have his way in my life? Fascinating what God will do. I remember being a student literature evangelist and I was canvassing in some hollers in the south. And I had a good day and I was driving back home and as I, as I drove past a couple of homes, on this side, I can still see it like it was yesterday, was an elderly couple sitting on their porch. And over here was a mom and a dad and two kids playing in the front yard, playing with a ball. And I drove past them and came to the tee. 
flipped on the indicator, was turning left, and God said, go back. And I said, no need for that. I've had a good day, and I kept on driving. God did not give up. God said, go back. And you know if you see two families, elderly and young, you're going to go to the young family because they want to at least buy the kids' book. And that, that lady, she's going to want to cook, surely. And then you're going to interest them in the message book. And they want to raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, no, no, I'm not going back. If I was going to go back, God, I would go back to the young people. But I'm not going back. I'm driving down the road. That's strike two. God said again, John, go back and go to the elderly couple. I didn't hear a voice. Of course I didn't hear a voice. But it was a strong and overwhelming impression. I pulled into a driveway. I stopped in the driveway. I said out loud, Lord, I think I'm fooling myself here. But just in case this is you, I'll go back and see what happens. I went back, pulled into the driveway of the elderly couple, got my bag over my shoulder, got out of the car, walked up the little rise leading to their porch, and the man or the woman, I don't remember which one, said, Ah, what's that you've got for us today? I started canvassing them. I'm handing books out here to the lady. The, 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 the lady was the decision maker. The husband was a nuisance. He just was asking questions. In the end, I pulled out three or four books. I said, you look through these while I talk to your wife. Canvas the wife. They brought one or two of everything I had. I went on my way praising the Lord that truth had been left behind in this home. They were buying kids for their... Uh, uh, not, they weren't buying kids. <laughs> I sold a lot of things in my time, but never children. They were buying books for their kids. Books for their grandchildren. Books for themselves. I'm saying, God, when I just listen to you, you'll do something great. You might think this was a small illustration. Yes, for you maybe because God tells you to go and raise dead people. But back then, he was telling me to go and sell books to living people. And when I did, as a young, broke L.E. And the money is being handed over. And I'm thanking God more for the souls than for the money. I'm saying this is huge. Whatever you're doing, God is going to do something great. When you listen to the voice of God, that's all God wants us to do. Put ourselves in the place where we hear him and then yield to him. The message of the gospel is the message of yielding to a God who wants to do something great in your life. You don't have to sweat that you aren't capable of greatness. God is capable of greatness. You don't want to tell me, but I'm too weak because I've read in the Bible where God says my strength is made perfect in what? God is looking for the weak. And if you can turn up at God's throne and say, Lord, I believe I'm weak. God says, all right, now you've got it. I remember it was early this, no, it wasn't. It was last year, wasn't it? Last year in Paris when we held an evangelistic series in Paris. If you want people to pray for you, go hold a meeting in Africa. If you want people to just envy you, go hold a meeting in Paris. When Paris, we're having a large baptism, 100 or so people being baptized. Praise the Lord. And the baptism is, is just taking place. I don't have a role in that. I'm standing back and enjoying what's going on. And they run to me and they grab me and they say to me, Pasteur, we need your help with something. <laughs> Beautiful French accent. <laughs> we need your help. I said, uh, uh, how can I help you? Huh? <laughs> Pasteur, there's a lady who does not want to get baptized. Oh, man, that's too bad. Oh, what do you want me to do? We want you to come and change her mind. Yeah, that's what I do. I change people's minds. Bring her on. I'll, I'll fix this lady in a moment. Just bring me to her. I'll work my magic. 
I said, sister, what's the problem? She spoke to me through a translator. She said, I don't want to get baptized. I know that. Why not? She said, I fear that after I'm baptized, I'll fall and fail. I said, you will. She thought, I said, you've just demonstrated to me that you are ready to be baptized. What do you mean? I said, if you were confident that you were going to get out of the water and then walk on water, I'd be worried. But you recognize that you're weak, right? Yes, pastor. Tears streaming down her face. I fear that I will fall. I said, you don't have to worry about that. You give your life to Jesus. He will live his life in you. And should you fall, you know where I went. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Sister, get up and go and get baptized. God's going to take care of you when you get out of the water. She recognized her weakness. We all must recognize our weakness. Because once you think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, you don't even need the Holy Spirit anymore. When you are weak, then God can make you strong. God says yield. When you yield, the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit will do. And if the Holy Spirit calls you to go and sweep a floor in the fellowship hall of the church, you sweep that floor for Jesus. And the Baptists who rent your church or the people who have a birthday party in your church are going to come in and they're going to say, that floor, I'm so impressed. What kind of people would have such a floor? I want to worship with them on a floor like that. (laughs) And if God calls you to preach to a stadium full of people, then so be it. God calls you to be a missionary in Mongolia, go man. If God calls you to be a missionary in Manhattan, don't turn back. If God calls you to be a missionary at school or at home, that's what you want to be. God didn't call all of us to be the head or the tail or the hand or the foot. He called all of us to take part in the great work that he's doing. Let God use you. He'll use you. It's all great when God uses you. All great. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work. Holy Spirit cannot cannot put anything in your hand when your fist is all closed up. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 6 and verse 16. He said this. He said, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin indeed unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Paul said, you are the servant of someone. You're the servant either of sin or of obedience, and you get to choose who you're the servant of. Isn't that something? Look with me. I'm a bit late getting to this. Look with me in in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to show you a revolution here. Before... There was a revolution, there was a revolutionary. And in order for Paul to be a revolutionary, there had to be a revolution that took place in his life. A Holy Spirit inspired and moved and executed revolution. I want you to notice what it says in Acts 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. How about that? I mean, those words are graphic, aren't they? Breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Went to the high priest. He said, give me some letters. I'd go to the synagogues in Damascus. I'll fix them Christians. On his way, God confronted him. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered by saying, Lord, who are you? He trembled in the presence of God as he might. But he asked a question. He said in verse 6, what do you want me to do? God told him, 
arise and go into the city and it will be told you there what you have to do in other words what do you want me to do I'm not telling you but if you get up and go to the city you'll find out Elisha came and said now prophet will you heal me no 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 no. go down to the river I'm not interested this was God fending Saul off just a little bit Saul will you exercise faith Saul will you learn faith right away you're cruising in a graduation you're saying I don't know what I'm gonna do don't sweat that make yourself available to God he got a million things for you to do and, and one thing that he's gonna show you brighter than all of the others hang in there Saul was breathing out what was it threatenings and slaughter go down to the city they'll tell you there he gets down to the city before he got there the Lord spoke to Ananias and he said now I want you to go down here and rendezvous with somebody Ananias was petrified Lord in verse 13 I've heard by many of this man this man has a reputation how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem God said you go it's gonna be okay I have called him Ananias went verse 17 he called him brother Saul just that phrase alone knocks me out the scales fell from his eyes and what do you read Saul was strengthened he hung out in Damascus for a while and right away he preached Christ in the synagogues that Christ was the Son of God and the people were amazed is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem they were amazed we know what he's like this brother has changed I want to challenge you young person whatever age you are we have young people of all ages at GYC go from here and amaze somebody not by going back to the church and carping at them about how they ought to be enthusiastic like you well you can do that too not by going back to the church and 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 and, and dazzling people with your lifestyle reform do that do that too but amaze people by letting them look at you and say wait a minute this is the man who used to be like this but look at him now this is the young woman who used to act a certain way but look at her now something's going on that is revolutionary friend of mine got invited to church so he went and when he was at church the preacher challenged all of the husbands go home and don't complain about anything to your wife for two weeks he said to a friend on his way home these Seventh-day Adventists are cranks that's unreasonable he got home he didn't complain about anything for two weeks wife thought he'd gone mad By the end of two weeks, she said, I don't know what they did to you at that church, but I'm coming along this week to find out. <laughs> They're now parents in Israel. They've got family that are in ministry. The revolution began in the heart, yielding to the power of God. The revolution was seen. Saul was revolutionary because a revolution began in his life friend when you go home from GYC be 
the revolution you want to see. Be a revolution. If you can't start one, be one. That's revolution enough. Let the revolution begin in you. You get to choose today who you're going to serve. Who's it going to be? Have you chosen to serve God with all of your heart? I know that a bunch of you have. Praise the Lord. But I'm guaranteeing you a bunch of you haven't. And it would be a tragedy to go home from here the same as when you arrived. Tragic. We got flashlights all over our house. Some of them work. We really need to change the batteries because if there was some sort of power outage, I know what would happen. I'd run to the flashlight and press the button. There'd be no power. And I would be saying, how silly of me. I have the flashlight and I know where the power is, but I neglected to put the two together. It could be a matter of life and death. Why would we not yield to the power and let the revolution begin in us? Why would we not? As powerfully as God works at events like these, I don't want you to think that GYC is the revolution. It's revolutionary. But a revolution doesn't take place within four walls over four days. It may begin but you've got to take the revolution back to where you came from. Your home, your church, your workplace, your school. Wherever you are, the revolution has got to go from here and become a reality out there. What were those definitions of revolution we discussed earlier? Out of the dictionary. An overthrow or repudiation and the thorough replacement of an established government or political system by the people governed. Before you come to Jesus, you are being governed by the enemy of souls. There must be a revolution that throws that form of government off. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tyrannical form of government. A sudden, complete, or marked change in something. If Jesus isn't the ruler of your life, you are governed by self. Let's just say it this way. It's the devil leading you around by the, by the nose. Let there be a revolution in your life where self-will is swallowed up in Christ's will. That's a revolution. A sudden, complete, or marked change in something. That's conversion, isn't it? That's when a child of the enemy becomes a child of God. That's when the Holy Spirit took cowardly Peter who ch and changed him into the bold Peter who said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You won't be able to light a fire in your church until God has lit a fire in you. You can't call anybody out of Babylon until God has taken Babylon out of you. You can talk about the mark of the beast until you are blue in the face, but if, there's, if you're a beast, all of your words aren't going to mean much in the final analysis. Friends, we've got a message to share. I thank God for the message God has given us, to give in His church. I thank God. I know there are times that it feels like you're getting blown this way and that. I know that. I know that. That doesn't mean that Jesus is not in your midst. The disciples were in the boat. They had to wake him up. Lord, save us. We perish. Jesus was right there. They thought they were going to perish. Jesus is with us in this church. He, he, he's going to get the good ship Adventism over to the other side. 
Now, when Saul made landfall at, at, at Malta, he had to grab hold of a little chunk of the boat. If that's all that's left by the time we get to the other side, so be it. But hang on to Jesus. Hang on to the great truths he's committed to this church. Hang on. We've got a message to share, and we've got a message to live. You can talk about revolution, and that's good. God wants you to be a revolution. If you're already having an Enoch experience, if you're eating the right amount of almonds and drinking eight glasses of water every day and, and, and spending time in prayer, God bless you. But if you're not, now's the time to enlist in the revolution. A revolution like no other, where God works to turn you inside out and put you right side up. I've known scoundrels who've been used by God in a mighty way. I spoke to a fellow who used to be the principal of, a, of an academy in New Mexico oh, many years ago. He told me about some of the things that the academy students were doing then, the boys in the dorm. You think it's bad today? It was bad then. He told me some of these guys are conference presidents now. I said, who? <laughs> he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> I baptized a witch doctor earlier this year. That wasn't anything I'd done. I just, I just did the baptism. There was a team of people who worked with him and, and led him to Jesus. You wait and see. God will use a witch doctor for his glory. I, 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 I met someone here and I asked this individual here at GYC, do you know pastor so-and-so? Oh, yes. He's great. And he is. But the last conversation I had with pastor so-and-so was when he said to me, John, I like to fight. I like to go out to bars and get drunk and find the biggest guy and take him outside and beat him up. He gets lots of decisions for baptism these days. I wonder. That's the last conversation I had with him. Now he is a soul winner, winning souls left and right, inspiring young people, inspiring older people. And the last time I spoke with him face to face, he said, I want to go out and fight someone right now. Not exhibit A. This is the guy that's going to cause a revolution. Oh, let's ordain him. If God can get hold of that guy, and revolutionize a corner of the world. And no, you got no excuse. I know former gamblers who teach Sabbath school and drunks, former drunks, who sit on church boards and former liars who lead pathfinders and former drug users who are Bible workers now doing great work for God because a revolution started. How? Did they say to themselves, I'm going to fix myself? No, they didn't. They said, I need Jesus to do in me what I can't do myself. And when Je will Jesus do it? Or does he only do it for somebody else? He does it for you. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God's good pleasure to straighten you out, lift you up, and use you in some great way for his glory. That's what God will do. Paul had it figured out. Not I, but Christ lives in me. He wrote to the Colossians. He told them the mystery of the gospel was Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, I remember once breaking my arm playing rugby and they took me uh, to, to, to the emergency room and uh, 
and they needed to anesthetize my arm. And I had my arm back, the, the, the doctor put a needle somewhere here in my armpit, and, and as he started injecting the anesthetic, it felt like fire. Shoom! I'd never felt that before. All through my arm, bam! In an instant, I said, wow, the body is an amazing thing. Through your body just like that. When the Holy Spirit gets into you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's going to be, it's, it, it, there'll be a burning all right. A burning in your heart. A change in your life. There'll be a revolution that begins in you and then it has to flow out. It has to flow out. I want to share with you a secret that shouldn't be a secret. Don't let it be a secret. I read this in a book, uh, The Desire of Ages. If you haven't read it lately, read it. As soon as I get through the great controversy this time around, I'm going back to the desire of ages. Listen to this. Listen to this. And be blown away. If this doesn't blow you away, check for a pulse. <laughs> this is amazing. Listen to this. I don't need to read it, but I'm going to read it in case I forget and screw it up. Page 668. If we consent. What was that word? If we do what? Give me another word. That means what? Yield. Yield. You got it. Allow. I like that. If we consent. So we, can, we consent. We go, okay, okay. Is that consenting? Okay. Someone say, give me $5. Okay. That's consenting, right? All right. If we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will. Okay. I'm going too fast. If we consent... He will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims. He will so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will that when obeying him, hang on to your seats, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in cheering for the Seattle Seahawks. No, somehow that's not your highest delight anymore. We'll find its highest delight in doing His service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our lives will be lives of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with Him, sin will become hateful to us. That's what God will do. If you let Him. If you consent, friend, let the revolution begin. You don't need to be spiritually destitute. A man died the other day in Wyoming. Homeless man, froze to death under a bridge. Hypothermia. Homeless, poor, had nothing. Didn't realize that his aunt had died and left him $19 million. He died a rich man. The richest man living under a bridge in the United States. Friend, I wonder today, if you want to be all in with Jesus, if you can yield, that's all he's asking you to do is yield. Stand up with me. Would you stand up, please? Anyone watching the clock, don't freak out. I'll take care of that. Listen, I wonder. I wonder if you can make a decision to yield to Jesus today. I'm not asking you to do anything, but yield. Don't promise God anything. God doesn't want you to promise him a thing. He wants you to believe his promises to you. I wonder if you can do that today.
Lord, it's time for me to yield and give you my life. Can you do that? I don't have time to build this thing up. I don't even care to. I just want to ask you. It's the end of GYC. Listen, if you've yielded to Jesus and given him your heart, I'm asking that you stay where you are and pray. But if it's decision time for you, I'm asking you that you move and make a decision. Come down here. Join me at the front. Don't wait. We don't have much time. Can you yield to Jesus today? Is it time for you to say, Lord, here's my heart. Here it is. That's it. I'm yours. I'm yours. That's it. If you're battling with a sin or an addiction, you just got to bring it to Jesus today. That's it. You're yielding it. God bless you. Keep coming. Bring it. Yield. Don't, don't make God a promise. That's dumb. Don't tell God, I'm going to go from here and be a changed person. Oh, sure. You're going to go from here with an attitude like that and fall over. But if you can say, God, I'm going to go from here. I just need you like I've never had you before. I want to give everything to you. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Look, remember, if you're okay, you're staying and praying. But if it's time for you to make this decision, a decision you may never have even made before, you got to come. You're going to go away from here saying, God, let there be a revolution in my life. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means mission service. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it means getting your GED. Maybe that's what, I don't know. God will tell you. Keep coming. Come from the back. We've got time for this. Come. You've got to come and pray today. This is, this is the last call at GYC. It's not a call to do. It's a, it's a call to yield. It's a call to let God do what God wants to do. When did you last get on your knees and say, God, here I am. Just do in my life what you want to do. Here I am. God, I'm sick of fighting. St. Paul, you know what his problem was? He was fighting. God said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. I'm goading your conscience. I've been speaking to you. You've been fighting me off, blocking me out, plugging. No, no, Paul, Saul, don't do that. Just yield because I've got a plan for your life. What's God's plan for your life? You might not even know. You might not even been sure God had a plan for your life. Friend, you can't wait. God is calling to you to allow him to work a revolution in your life. By the way, if there's somebody near you who should come up and you know it, grab them by the arm and say, I'll go with you. You're not going to get a certificate for coming up here today. You may end up with a crown of gold. If you will act upon a decision, Instead of standing out there saying, oh, that's a good idea, act. Because when you go home tonight, you're going to say, you know what? I acted upon a decision for Jesus. This wasn't a, a, a mind trip I was on. I acted. I went. Look, we're not going to wait all day, but there are others coming. And there must be others still. Have you made that decision to, just to yield? God, here I am. Here I am. Look what God did with just a few no-account people back in the 1840s. Look at this. Worldwide movement, taking the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. God wants you to take the gospel to somebody. God wants you to be the gospel in somebody's life. You understand what I mean? The good news, a revelation of the character of Jesus. <clears throat> if you've been trying and failing, you need to come down here right now. Right now. 
Because what I'm calling you to do, what I, what I would like to think God is calling you to do through me right now, is to say to you, no more trying and failing. Now you're going to yield and you're going to let me be the success in your life that you need. You're going to let me bring the victory to you that you want. That's what God wants to do. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Lord, <clears throat> I came to GYC last year. I've been to church twice since. Awesome. You're going to go from GYC, same cycle. You'll go to church twice next year. And next year you won't come to GYC because you'll feel like a hypocrite. And you won't go to church at all the year after. And what's that? No, instead you say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not making a very good go of this. I need you to do what you can do. I need you to work in me both to will and to do for your good pleasure. <clears throat> if you don't need to come, stand where you are and pray. <clears throat> but if you need to come, oh, for the... Uh, don't just stay where you are. Come to Christ today and go knowing you made a decision for Him. Go knowing you made a decision for Him. We're going to pray in a moment and then our team are going to work with you. We're not just going to send you back. We'd like to have a word with you. In fact, you're going to follow someone this way or that way. Look around. Don't just disappear. Don't you just disappear back into the crowd. It's not going to help anybody. not going to help you. Listen, friend, God is calling you today to let there be a revolution in your life. To let there be. To consent. To say, God, unless you do something, I'm going to crash and burn. Maybe all over again. I'm not asking you to come here today and promise God any sort of anything. But to come to God and say, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. But I believe as the disciples believed that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to say a prayer. I would invite you still to come. Can you do me a favor if you're here and here? Just, just come this way just a little bit because I don't, I don't want people to be gumming up the aisles who could be right down here with us come on now you're among friends it's New Year's Day and if you will allow God to work the work in your life this will be the, 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 the greatest day of your life because you asked God to bring into your life the power of the Holy Spirit there can not fail of being a revolution when the Spirit of God gets hold of you. They cannot. And if you fall off the horse a day from now or two days from now, come on now, we've got an advocate. I'm not asking you to be presumptuous and take it all slack and sloppy. But you've read the Bible. God isn't going to kick you to the curb just because you goofed again. He's going to, the story of the prodigal son, man, only time in the Bible, God ran. He ran towards a sinner. Adam and Eve signed the death warrant of Jesus. God went after them in the Garden of Eden. Not to kick him out, but to bring him in. Listen, friends, you understand that God is love. He loves you with a passion. You think you want God working in your life? He's just waiting to work. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what you have done in the lives of biblical revolutionaries is remarkable. You turned around Saul, you made him Paul. 
You turned around Manasseh. You made him a child of God. You turned around them sons of thunder. One of them in his old age wrote the book of Revelation. You turned around cowardly Peter. He became as bold as a lion. Revolutionaries who turned their world upside down because they allowed you to live in them. So here we are. You know, Lord, what a great group. We got doctors and lawyers here. Expect there are some scientists here. We got some preachers and some teachers here. IT experts here. We've got people who are going to go on and impact their field powerfully. Lord, we are all in need of Jesus. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We all need you. So we yield now. Come on, man, I wonder. Lord, can we even yield? Take our hearts, for we cannot give them. They are your property. Keep them pure, because we cannot keep them for you. Save us in spite of ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves. Mold us, fashion us, raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through our souls. We are here. If you could feed a multitude with five loaves and two fish, you can do something with us. If you could change water to wine, you can change our hearts. If you could make an iron axe head float, then you can take our iron hearts and make them tender with the love of Jesus. We're yours. Here we are. Do what you want to do. Let the revolution continue. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Please say with me. Amen, amen, and amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.